Welcome, reanimated fans. Hello, I'm AJ Conrad here with Stuart Tiffin. Hello, Stuart. Who are we? What are we doing here? Well, this has been a long hiatus due to travel, holidays, just all sorts of other things that got in the way of us talking, though we were also on the same coast and unfortunately didn't get to see each other. That seems to be our jam. What happened next time? Next time we will eat C's candy or bagels, depending on the coast that we're on, right? Or whatever delicacy you would have on the West Coast. What would you do on the West Coast? Sushi? Sushi is pretty damn good out there. I admit I ate a lot of it when I was in L.A., that was good. Now I'm just hungry for had, sushi. Um, I was in San Francisco a very limited amount of time, but I did have some um, some amazing soup dumplings, which were pretty good. Nice. So, you know, but but that's for us to discuss uh, down the line. But today we're back. We're going to talk about the Signal, which is an older film that I admit I didn't hear and I thought that hear about it, and I thought that this was actually the Stephen King one we had talked about before, but it is not. Well, they're um, named. They're both named the Signal, <laughs> and I, the the one we've talked about. Me, came I was out like, this, I will say when you sent me the sort of like, I was like, this doesn't seem like the same film. <laughs> so yeah, anyway. yeah, they're uh, not that far from one another, frankly. Uh, and there was. Actually, sorry, was the Stephen King film called Cell? Or mm, the Sig- was it? I thought well, it was still. Isn't there a movie, a movie called The Signal starring Lawrence Fishburne that is not at all related to this stuff? I don't know. There might be a lot of these films called The Signal. Um, but <laughs> the point is, is that this is not the Stephen King one. And um, this is written and directed um, by some independent filmmakers, David Bruckner, uh, Dan Bush and Jacob Gentry. Um, and so we're going to talk about that. But before we get to that, we have a couple of uh, news items. I'm going to kick this off by talking about my favorite, Pedro Pascal. This isn't even a news item. I'm just talking about him because we all know how much uh, I adore him. Anyway, he's been making the rounds on the, in the various like awards places. And he hasn't been winning anything, but he's been having like a lot of like interaction and coverage, I think for a few reasons. One is because he's very charming, but two, because uh, he and Karen Galkin have started this kind of funny banter back and forth um, during the award ceremony. So when, when Karen Culkin uh, won his golden globe, he basically told Pedro Pascal to suck it as part of his speech, which <laughs> I thought was kind of awesome. And then uh, at the Emmys, uh, Pedro Pascal basically said that the reason why his shoulder was all messed up, because he's been wearing this, like these very artfully uh, draped slings to go with his outfits. Um, he basically said that Karen had beat him up Um his intros. So it, the the hilarity ensues, although they are pretty funny with each other. But, you know, I was sad that he didn't win um, for, you know, obviously the things he has been doing this year and he's been doing a lot. Um, was it but, all Last of Us or was it what was what was he up I for? I think it was all Last of Us, but I feel like he had a couple other nominations, maybe. Um, but um, but the la- obviously the Last of Us is mainly what what people are doing um, for him. And anyway. He's awesome. More Pedro. Hopefully this just means that he gets more work this year and eventually we'll we'll get his awards and he should because he's awesome. Anyway, mm-hmm. my, my Pedro uh, fangirl accolades ends there. Um, but for real news, and this is sad real news, um, that uh, Black Summer Instagram 
that we saw was unfortunately fake and was deleted. And so that's kind of sad. Um, well, the sad. Real sadness here, H.A., is that they they had access to like a lot of behind the scenes stuff. They had cast members who liked their posts, but it was I mean, was following this along on Reddit since they were deleted, but it was fairly easy to figure out that it was fake because they're like based in Indonesia and had five other uh, pseudonyms for the account in the, in the past. Oh, yeah. So it was a fake account and, uh, you know, realize that now. But they were they kept posting. They kept hope alive for Black Summer by posting not uh, like infrequently, but every so often, like every six months, they would have another post. And then around the Christmas, they had two back to back that were like 2024. Something is coming. And people were losing their minds. Uh, and then the the account was deleted a couple days later. And the uh, scuttlebutt is Netflix was like cease and desist. You got to shut that shit down because we're not uh, or we're not ready to talk about it. But more likely, we're not doing a, another uh, thing with Black Summer. So stop getting the people all riled up. Well, I also think you could look at it in a positive way, which is that if the people were all riled up, maybe you should make it. Just saying. Yeah. Um, and and on on that Reddit uh, on the subreddit for Black Summer, people keep saying like, "Look, uh, Netflix keeps updating the uh, teaser for Black Summer. Like the video clip that they're using to promote the show keeps ch getting updated, and it's continuously being pr uh, promoted and recommended to viewers, which we've talked about a couple weeks, well, months ago now, probably on this podcast. Nef Netflix has not stopped like pushing this content, which. That's a good thing. I mean, at least they're not like taking it off the the platform altogether, like we've seen with some stuff. Um, but let's talk about something more positive and something that we were like, uh, is, they just keep teasing this. Is it real? But it looks like twenty eight days later is actually going to happen. Twenty eight years later, yeah. Right, twenty eight years later. Um, speaking of other Golden Globe peeps, um, so um, Danny Boyle's talking about it. It's in the works. There's a little bit more than just them talking about it in interviews. Apparently, they're even floating the idea of a trilogy. Um, and it would definitely be Boyle directing at least the first film, and Garland is writing all three. So that that is pretty cool. Um, it's yeah. this has not been picked up by a publisher yet or whatever it's called but i think they will just uh you know i we'll think see. i think they're they're trying to stir the interest and i think it's there and honestly i think with killian murphy winning the golden globe for oppenheimer and i say i i have a feeling i mean i hope he wins the oscar he deserves it but um it, like maybe this is the time and why they are pushing this so hard is that people to have that like top of mind. Cause he's talked about it too. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens. This admittedly got my hopes up probably a little bit more than they should be, but um, it looks a little bit more real than it did before. I guess that's all I will say. Like they're actually going to, it looks like they're going to like try to shop it as a package. Yeah. So, I so hope it wouldn't actually come out 28 years after the first movie though. But they could age up Killian Murphy if he agrees to come back and be in 28 years later. And he would only I be mean, what, he's, eight, he's, eight years off or so. Or Yeah, it's not that far off. And they could certainly age him up. And um, and again, he was he was he seemed pretty psyched about the idea of this as long as Danny Boyle and 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 Alex Garland are attached. So um, so that's this, pretty this cool. could be huge. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited. I'm cautiously excited about this because if they haven't even they were talking about in the Hollywood Reporter article about selling this package coming mm -hmm. up soon, um, which, you know, means that they're they're still a long way away from realizing this. 
Yeah, but if Zack Snyder can sell his packages, they can sell them. <laughs> That's all I will say. Have you seen Rebel Moon yet? No. Dude, mm. it was very mediocre. <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine. Um, anyway, um, and then uh, last but not least, uh, there is a trailer out um, for a, um, a Norwegian a Norwegian show. Uh, uh, it's Norwegian, yeah. A Norwegian movie, sorry, yeah. um, called Handling the Undead. And um, I don't know, like, we were just talking about this before we started recording, but um, this is the um, based on a story or a, a novel by, um, I, I don't remember his first name. I know his last name is Lindquist. Um, and he is the author who wrote um, Let the Right One In. Um, and that was, I feel like the American version of that the, the film um, was in like 2010 or around there. Um, but that book itself was incredibly well-written, if not disturbing. Um, but uh, this trailer has a lot of, even in just like, it's not, it's like what, like a two minute trailer. Yeah. And it managed to disturb me like handily, <laughs> very, very quickly and easily. It's a well-edited uh, trailer. The premise is also just extra disturbing. Like these, yeah. It does have zombies or people coming back from the dead, but they're not a meat. They're at first they're kind of like catatonic, um, and not they don't attack. Uh, and so it's about like you know their loved ones take them in and try to like nurse them back to life, if you will. Right. Uh, I don't know exactly where the story goes from there, but uh, it feels sinister. There's a sinister element to this right. trailer. Well, there's also like an emotional and a like. Yeah. I mean, uh, and sorry, it's uh, John. Lindquist, and this was a novel he wrote in 2005, um, but it was translated into English in 2009. And so, um, so I guess, yeah, it's been out there a while. I did not hear of it, which is a little honestly surprising because normally, the book? I, uh, yeah, because no, I, I really like him. And so, usually, I get recommendations mm. for things I've read. So, I'm kind of surprised I didn't get this. Um, but in any case, it reminded me a little bit of, um, the leftovers? Is it the leftovers where they come back from the dead? Is that the one I'm thinking of? Is or it leftovers or no, no, the the revenants, uh, the revenants. Yeah. That one, uh, that one where it was where they were just like normal people, but were a class held uh, held apart. This is a little bit French, more, right? This is a little more sinister, just because um, at least the well, they don't. They're like, not. Yeah, they're not sentient, or they're not aware. It seems like when they come back, at least in the or, trailer, or they're sort of, but not really, and. There's like decomp going on. So like the most yeah. disturbing is like there's like a kid. Mm -hmm. um, He's like the most. Yeah, I think there. I think the kid is uh, often just a, a puppet is playing the kid. It seems it seems like anyway, um, which will be scary, too. Yeah. And and so, you know, that relationship between parents and, and children and having to resolve a conflict and just have that person come back. I mean, we saw a little bit of that in the flesh and they address that particular issue, yeah. but this seems a lot worse because there's like, I don't know, there's some scene with somebody with like a pet or an animal and it's like mm -hmm. squealing and it was really upsetting. So we'll have to wait to see this upsetting movie. Um, when <laughs> can't, it wait. can't wait to see this really upsetting movie. Yeah. Speaking of things that are upsetting people, uh, mm -hmm. I do have one more piece of news, which is, um, you got to talk well, about the permafrost. No, I no, I don't. I don't care about the permafrost, even though it's <laughs> issuing out million year old viruses like yes. uh, every day. 
uh, no, Last of Us season two casting announcements are happening. Uh, people are Reddit, man, is a place where there's oh. so much anger, but um, a lot of anger in Reddit. Yep. They, so people have been mad, apparently, about Last of Us 2 since it came out. I, I'm going to ignore that for, for the moment. But Last of Us 2 casting announcements. Uh, so for the role of Abby, they've cast Caitlin Deaver, uh, who does not. My God, all my phones are exploding right now. She, she does not immediately um, re resemble the character from the video game. I've mentioned this before that Abby uh, or the character uh, that Caitlin Deaver is being cast to play is quite jacked. And yep. she is uh, quite slight. Uh, but you know what? I've seen like, uh, what's it called? The art that they're, the concept art for her character uh, has her looking more like um, Ellie. So it'll probably be fine and whatever. It, who cares? I really like Caitlin Deaver a lot. So oh, you've seen her in stuff. Well, I don't know if you ever saw Booksmart, but she's no. really good in that. Um, amazing. And um I I just think people should should not jump to conclusions before they see what she can do. Right. Um she's Obviously. got she's got some pretty uh good um acting chops like and she's really just I think she can do something with this role and I I don't know. I have no problem with her being in this. Um and again, like I think if you look at the concept art and whatever, nothing's ever going to be like I mean, come on. Nothing is going to be totally perfect. It's not supposed to be an exact like replica of the video game um and, and, and i'm that's not the point i'm trying to to make i'm, I'm i am i'm saying that there are people who are going to be upset about this right but i'm also saying who cares it'll be fine uh they're they're just going out to find the best actors they can for the roles uh i was i was kind of excited to see if they could find someone who was going to be the she hulk sort of character that abby is in the video game but at the end of the day, it's not the most important part about her character. It's her motivations and the way that she interacts with people. I'll so, also point out that people were like being very critical of Bella Ramsey being cast. But when and she still cast. are. Yeah, um, and still, and still are. Um, and they still are. And I think that Bella Ramsey did an incredibly good job. And the relationship between um, uh, like her character and Pedro Pascal's character are incredibly like that's what makes it it's that relationship and so i think people need to stand down a little bit so i'm i'm okay with with joel and ellie meeting a new type of uh abby <laughs> i guess right. so uh, in addition to abby they've also announced casting for jesse who's also a fairly significant part of the of that story who'll be played by it's from Beef, which I have. I've only seen the first episode of. I couldn't. It was. It was pretty challenging. Uh, young Mazzino is going to be Jesse, and uh, Isabella Merced has been cast in the role of Dina, who is also a very important character in the story. Oh. So, they they they're putting together their cast. Uh, I don't know when they're going to start production, but I feel like hopefully, it, we're, we're, clearly, we're not expecting this show to come out until twenty twenty five. So that's hopefully what we'll get. Uh, you just reminded me because you mentioned beef, but we should make a big shout out to Stephen Yoon. Did he get uh, an award uh, for that? He did. Um, and like, it's it's pretty awesome. He absolutely deserved it. And like, pretty uh, like um, he he was uh, very, you know, gracious and awesome. Um, but I was very happy that he won. 
Um, though I admit I have not seen beef, um, and I know I need to. Uh, Yeah, so it's just a, I, it's a tough one, man. It's, I think I know it's like, I don't know. I see a lot of that rage, that, that rage happening anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. which I know like during my general commute um, as recently as Friday, which I made the mistake of staying too late at work. And there was just all sorts of fun things happening at uh Bryant park train station. Um, but um, I should watch it because it is very, very good. Um, but he won uh best actor for a limited series um, in the, during the Emmy awards. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, very psyched for him on that. Um, also big winners. And this is again, like, um, you know, uh, and he also won the golden globe too. Um, along with Ali Wong, who is co-stars in beef with him. But, um, Nice. Yep. what was the other show that have you seen the bear? Yeah, well, some of it. I haven't seen season two, but I, I got to the end of season one. So that's another one that I, I know it's very good. I just haven't been able to watch because I think it will like stress me out. It is stressful. It's just people yelling at each other for half an hour. <laughs> Like literally, uh, every episode um, is a lot of yelling, a lot of uh, interpersonal angst. But I mean, it, it, you know, it does. It is also entertaining and good. It's just wow. Uh, but both uh, Jeremy Allen White and Io uh, Edabiri won for the Bear, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. So pretty, pretty good show. I know they're all good shows, but I have to actually watch them. So, so many shows, so little time. That's right. Um, On that note, I've been, uh, I don't know why, there's a lot of good shows out there that I haven't seen, but I've been rewatching slash binging Handmaid's Tale. Um, for what reason? I don't know. It kind of just got stuck in my head and then I had to fit finish. I hadn't seen the last couple of seasons, so now I'm caught up. I stopped after the first only because it felt like, uh, I'll admit to you, it felt like it was too close to like Yeah, possible that's why reality. I think that's why a lot of people kind of had to take a break. But Yeah. um, so I've caught up, I would say season four and five are not the strongest. Season three was really, really good uh, that I just rewatched. And there's another season coming out in 2025 also. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. I want them to just tie up that story and I want to see who's getting what what's coming to them. Well, we shall see. Um, I guess I should watch that too. Again, it's really hard for me sometimes to watch shows when it's, you know, bleak and wintry outside and you know, all you want to do is watch happy things. Um, but, you know, that I'll just have to, to deal with it. Um, and speaking of not necessarily happy things, No, um, not happy things. But do you want to get into, uh, but it being bleak and horrible, um, let, do you want to get into a review of The Signal? Yeah, The Signal from 2007 You've already mentioned that it has three directors Yep. um, And it actually There are three writers also Each of them wrote one of the acts I'm not sure then who wrote the introduction uh, I, was, I don't think that was um, Detailed But it it it's It's so clearly broken into these three acts. It's kind of like um, dust, dust till dawn, in this in the sort of approach that they took. Man, I wonder if did it come out? It came out after from dust till dawn, right? That came out a long time ago. But that Yeah. was the famous Tarantino uh, Robert Rodriguez um, picture that that had kind of two acts in a way, where he, uh, Tarantino wrote the first act and Rodriguez wrote the second, and this one has. Three very different feelings, but they are tied together. Yeah, and I'd also like to point out that two of those directors appear as screaming men in Oh. 
the in the in the film there are a few screaming men in the film so yes so uh but i just think it's funny that they are listed in the credits as basically screaming man and screamy man it's, it's <laughs> um i wonder if one of them was the screaming man who was also on fire while he was screaming uh it's very possible um but this the i would say like the um anessa ramsey uh is one of the main leads. Um, AJ Bowen plays her, um, and she's Maya. Uh, AJ Bowen plays her husband, and then Justin uh, Wellborn plays like her lover. And then there's this other guy, and I guess he takes to me, he takes like also kind of a supporting slash bigger role, but um, the guy that plays uh, Clark. Um, Scott Poitras. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and there's other supporting cast, but it's mainly those people. Oh, uh, I would Sar. Did you say Sar also as Rod? Um, I didn't. I view him as more supporting, but yes, he was in there. And he then, just, he pulled, I think he pulled a lot of weight in the first act. Yeah, uh, he did. Um, yeah. And then what was the name of the, the strange woman? <laughs> the strange woman. The one who played uh, Anna? Oh, Sherry Christian plays yeah. Uh, and she's also a pretty, pretty pulling a lot in there. So, in that second act, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so I agree with you. I think that these three acts are clearly, you know, uh, what they are. Um, the one comment I will make, and this is what I wish they had done. This movie was like an hour and forty-two minutes, or something like that. It mm-hmm. was very long, and oh, you feel like that was too long. Oh my gosh! Yes, it was so long, like, and that's like a, it's like a hundred and ten minutes. It's so long, and for what it is, and it could have been so much better if somebody or all three of them had gotten together and agreed to tighten it up a lot. There's a lot of things that they could have done here that would have made it a better film. Okay. Um, from my point of view, from a lot of different points of views, in terms of like storytelling and. Um, you know, it's not a linear tale, which is fine. And I have no issue with that, but it definitely felt like, um, and especially, I would say, especially like in the, the second act, um, where they just go on too long with their bits, which I was like, oh, come on. Like, this is just lame. Um, personally, I feel like the first part was maybe the strongest. The first and second act, I would say were, were my favorite. Uh, the third act kind of feels flabby and and not really driven enough. Mm-hmm. Um, the second act, while I, I'll agree, it, it probably does go on too long. I think it's such a refreshing change of tone from the first one that it kind of um, revives the storyline, the stories that it's telling. Uh, and it, it gives some more, a lot more uh, angularity and depth to Lewis, the main antagonist for the for the one sort of inner story that goes throughout the entire movie. Um, and so I, I liked it for that. I didn't feel like it was too long, I guess, cause I, I was, I was able to, to sit in it. I mean, I also have some sentimental attachment to this movie. For some reason I watched it 10, 15 years ago. And um, I've just always had scenes from the first and second act have just stayed with me. And I don't really understand why, because when I was rewatching it to to talk about it today, I 
there were definitely parts that I had no recollection of, like Jim Parsons. No, I no recollection of that character whatsoever. Well, that's I okay. So to clarify, and we can talk about it when we talk about the actual like sections. Um, I liked aspects of Act Two, but I guess what frustrated me is that it could have been so much better in my mind um, if it had been edited down and been a little bit like slicker. But um, like, but. I digress, and let's get into it. Um, so, the open air, the opening sort of scene, um, is actually from another movie, and I and I'm assuming that it's supposed to be a scene that Maya and Ben are watching, or a movie, or it's, it's on while they're sleeping, or is that like what's supposed to be happening? I think so. Um, although, yeah, he talks about how the TV turned itself on. Right. later in that scene but yeah i think that's that's the idea is that the that's what the, maybe they fell asleep watching yeah and so it's like basically a horror thing called like happy hap good or something like that and it's a pretty much like a like torture body horror kind of film um felt a little chainsaw massacre-esque um so you know and then they have this quote-unquote quote, signal um and you know at least in the olden days, <laughs> when uh, when stations would go off air, usually you would get like you know the sort of the the tone, and sometimes they're like you know whatever that whole placeholder thing would be, or sometimes you would just get static. Um, I would say it was a little closer to the static than that tone, and it's like kind of like a distorted frequency. And Ben gets up and turns it off, and it turns out that. You know, Maya's not supposed to be there so late because they're having an affair. And it goes into this whole thing. And I do think that this was very clever because basically if Maya had done what Ben was saying and just stay and leave her husband and just like not go back, they probably would have been okay, right? Uh, they may, I mean, they, maybe they would have ended up watching the TV all night and gone completely insane too. Maybe, but for whatever reason, Ben has figured out how to fight the signal or something. Maybe it's related to finding Maya or he's worried about Maya, but he doesn't seem to be as affected by this as other people are, or he has figured out a way to deal with it to some Well, degree. you know, as the movie goes on, you are you learn that nobody is a, a reliable narrator, including like your own perspective, because True. it's always kind of from somebody else's viewpoint. Right. So who knows, honestly, at the end, right? Like how many, how many like false trails do they lead in the in the um right. in the third act so but i will say you know maya's like gotta get home i will say this though because like she's like oh i you know i don't even have time to take a shower so i'm gonna spray perfume on me so i don't smell like you um i think we can all agree that she probably need to take a shower and she probably still smelled like him even with the perfume covering it up so just putting that out there um she and worked, yeah and she was making up this. She was like, I'm going to make up this story that I was out with drinks. It's like two in the morning, I think, right? Midnight. She said it was, it was 12, 15 when they woke up and she got home by one. Okay. So, I, and she works at a restaurant. She works at a restaurant. I feel like late nights are pretty normal yeah, for people okay. who work fair, in restaurants. Fair. But um, yeah. But anyway, she, she you know, kind of makes her way home. She had like a big part of this is that um, and I like. What year was this supposed to be exactly? Was this supposed to be like earlier? Because she has a disc man and he made her a yeah. mix CD. So I feel like I think that's there was a there was a fair amount of overlap. It didn't go like immediately to uh, to um, MP3 players. Really? 2007 is when it came out. Maybe it was filmed in 2005, 2006. Mm -hmm. I think okay. there was still a fair amount of CDs around. 
in those years. I was definitely still using a lot of DVDs then. Mm. Anyway, she's got a love mixtape that Ben has made for her. You know, it's fine. Um, But this is something that she uses to sort of cut out the outside world. And as she's sort of trying to make her way home, this is a piece that I was like, huh, I don't know that any woman in a garage is going to walk in and at as late at night as it was wearing a disc man. They're just not going to do that from a safety perspective. And then even more so she runs into these two kind of weird people in the garage. Um, One guy's just like, Oh, I need help and all this other stuff. And again, you're not going to do this in a garage, like in an abandoned garage at midnight um, if you are a woman. So I do have an issue with that. Uh, But this woman was concerned. I mean, the guy is, bleeding too which she doesn't actually know until she gets closer to him exactly but yeah she would just say hey i'm gonna go and find you help but she certainly wouldn't get close enough to him i just have that was it was disturbing though uh the way that they did this not only is this guy bleeding he's kind of uh sympathetic in a way because like yeah this guy just ran up and cut me and then ran away and like he's upset uh then another guy starts yelling like wordlessly from well, another part one of the of parking the lot. Men directors that we saw. Like oh, is he a screaming man? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Screaming okay. Man. <laughs> uh, but you couldn't. You can't make out at all what he's saying, and uh, and then he starts moving to. Uh, to me, this felt a lot like something they would have done in Twenty Eight Days Later, and maybe yeah, it's actually ripped from that because it has that vibe of um, Killian Murphy's character walking into the church. Yeah, it has Killian the same Murphy. sort of. Yeah, that was that was an amazing scene. So I agree. But so uh-huh. I. I, this was evocative to me for that. The fact that she kind of barely gets away, but that these guys are also not, maybe they would have gotten overtly violent if she had uh, delayed her departure, but they just kind of are looking at her from outside the car and not like trying to get in her way or stop her. Yeah. And I do think, I, I mean, honestly, I do like the fact that whatever this signal is and it's like over radio waves, phones, like TVs, like whatever you're talking about, it's affecting people in different ways and not always predictable ways. Yeah. And so I thought that was kind of an interesting idea. Um, So she does barely get away though. I'll point out something. Well, later on this comes, comes into play, but like, I don't know that her car auto locked. I guess she had the other door locked, but I just, you know, I was very glad she got away from them and she ends up, you know, getting home to her apartment building and already things are kind of like weirdly oh, very strange. Yeah. Weirdly strange and chaotic. And she notices it, but it it's not quite at the fever pitch it gets to later. So it's weird enough that things are happening and it is something that she calls out, but something that she's like, maybe it's just like a full moon or something like that. But it's, she sort of makes her way into the apartment and there's like, oddly sinister things like there's a woman that's kind of like following her down the hall um people are fighting with each other um oh, well like having arguments yeah 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 like just but verbal arguments not you know the the woman following her down the hall i thought was really great and the perspective of the camera mm-hmm. how you feel nervous for her because you're like oh gosh how close is that woman because she's acting kind of weird and just you know it's like it's after midnight and there are like 10 people in the hallway of hallway. her apartment <laughs> building like that doesn't seem right. Just right there. I mean, maybe it is for her apartment building. Maybe it's just a bunch of like up, you know, restaurant workers or something. But it seems like there's way too much activity. And Janice does yell that down the hallway after she comes out and kind of jump scares Maya. Janice, her neighbor from across the hall, who's like, "Oh, Lewis is looking for you." 
Right. Uh, and I should point out, like, this is this is supposed to be it. They keep calling it Terminus, but it is Atlanta, which I guess is the, what the original name of Atlanta used to be, which yeah. Terminus, which I didn't know, which also, you know, brings something about Walking Dead into perspective for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure that's where but, they got the name for the. Right, but, you know, it's probably not normal to have this. This large group of people all out and active at one in the morning. No. So. And Janice feels kind of normal at this point in the story. She's just, I don't know why she's popping me. out in the hallway, probably to yell at the people who are making too much noise. Yeah. But she's just like, yeah, uh, Lewis is looking for you. Okay, bye. And then goes back inside and Maya goes inside her apartment where Janice has told her there's a bunch of people. Oh, there's He has friends over. And the friends are Jerry and Rod. Um, do you did uh, uh, Here's a hindsight sort of question. Did you recognize any, but any of the actors from this film? Um, I felt like I recognized the guy who played um, Rod. I feel like he's been in. He has been in a bunch. He was in Luke Cage. I guess he had. He played a character called Anansi in Luke Cage. I don't remember who that character was. Um, yeah, but I also feel like I recognized him from something else. Um, anyway, it'll eventually... only only a couple of them have Wikipedia pages. Uh, he's done a bunch of um, screen. Or oh, he was stuff. in the blacklist too. Um, okay. and the good wife. Uh, so I feel like I've seen him in a lot of shows, and he's usually like, you know, he's one of those kind of. Uh, oh, I definitely recognize him from Luke Cage. I just pulled up a photo of him from it. Yeah, I remember him. Okay. Okay. Um, so anyway, it makes sense that he's uh, familiar to me. I didn't really recognize the other person that seemed familiar, but I don't know that I've seen him in much else. Was the the actor who played Clark. He seemed really familiar to me, but I don't when I, I agree. At, I agree, but it has no he has no yeah, uh, when I looked at his uh, when I looked him up, he just doesn't have all that much. So maybe it's just one of those faces. I don't know. Yeah. Um but anyway, you know, so Maya gets home, has the weird interaction with the nosy neighbor who's like, you got blood on you, which is a very almost very Shaun of the Dead. Uh, you got right on you. This is um, only a couple of years after that. So yeah, right. I could be making um, those references. And, and it is like, okay, let's be, let's be honest. She's like walking into this. Um, he, like the neighbor gives her the lowdown that his friends are all there, that he's been looking for her. Um, and so she already knows and it's late and she knows she's already come up with an excuse that she's going to tell, which is that she's out drinking with her friends and didn't, and the phones didn't work. And honestly, kind of plausible because her phone really doesn't work. And, she walks in and they're all kind of like very hyped up and overstimulated and fighting or sort of arguing similar to what's happening in the hallway. But her arrival does bring the attention of Lewis on her and he event he like goes and follows her into the bedroom and he is very clearly aware that something is happening. And so she gives him her line about, you know, the restaurant and drinking and he's literally giving her the third degree. Like he sniffs her. Like, yeah. He's not smells he, her. He's like, yeah. you smell like perfume. What did you drink? Who were you with? Who was that person? Like, yeah. so clearly the, the jig is up. Um, But he allows her to like somehow get away with it a little bit. And then she's uh, like supposedly going to go and take a shower. Um, And then, the, re the argument between him and his two friends just kind of continues to escalate. And she notices it enough that, and the weird thing is, is that like, you know, she tells him it's barbecue sauce on her. 
Yeah, why wouldn't she just say that a guy tried to mug yeah, me or something? Yeah, that would probably be, you know, that's a real thing that happened. Yeah. Um, but anyway, she she's like going to go to the shower, but she notices how weird the conversations are between them. Like, Lewis is getting incredibly worked up. Um, and definitely his perception of what's happening is distorted. Like, his friend is swinging around this bat in a weird way, and he's like, oh you almost hit my wife and he gets very like worked up about that and then he says something else which is you know um basically implying that he knows exactly what has been happening with her and yeah. it escalates but it's attributing it to jerry instead of to the yeah. mystery ben and she's seeing clips of this like she goes into the bathroom and she's like okay that's weird and then you know so we see little snippets of this which i thought it was kind of nice how they worked this where it's like she tries to sort of disrupt it, but then she's like, I don't want to necessarily get involved because it seemed like Rod was helping to sort of de-escalate it. Yeah, he was mediating. Bit. Yeah. Um, And then she's in the bathroom and we only hear sort of like the pinnacle or the, the sort of like the crisis moment with the door closed, which I thought was kind of interesting and cool. But she does step out to like, see, she hears a crash. She steps out. Jerry is just walking away from Lewis Mm -hmm. uh, when Lewis runs up behind him and hits him on the head with a baseball bat and then hits him several more times after he's on the ground. Uh, yeah. And then Rod is like trying to wrest the bat away from him and and uh, disarm him. And Lewis looks up at her and just goes, go take a shower, honey. Uh, yeah. That's that's when you're like, this dude is unhinged. This is crazy. Well, uh, and that's part of what this show, this movie does, I think, well, which is like what they're saying is so different from what they're doing sometimes, not always, but or when they do do that, it's pretty disturbing. Right. Or there's like a logic in their minds to what they're doing. And so they're not reacting to the horrific things they're doing because there was a completely logical reason for doing it. They feel very justified and they also feel like it's not weird. Um, they do have moments where they question it, but when they're sort of under the control of the signal, whatever it might be, this is sort of a total, totally logical thing that he did because in his mind he was protecting his wife. And that seems to be a pretty big theme. Uh, we hear a character later on talk about this, um, that her father uh, killed the dog because he thought the dog was attacking her when it was like a puppy, you know. Um, so this is the the they're kind of laying out the mythology, I guess, of what this is. And this is the first time we really see that. Um, so I thought that that was really interesting. Um, uh, and when we think about how much time has passed since the signal came on TV and she's now home. So it was like 1215, the signals on in the parking lot. There are already crazy people, basically. Then at her apartment, there are crazy people who are not quite at the point of, uh, out outward violence, but maybe there are just in their, in their apartments. But, and now she, uh, she sees what's going on. She flees. She's mm -hmm. like, there is a fight going on. I'm getting out of here. She runs out into the hallway and there's a dead guy right outside her door. <laughs> like yep. she slips in the blood. Uh, she looks down the hall and there's the guy with the garden shears who um, just snips a woman's throat who is it's running. Matter of him. Factly, it's really disturbing. It's a it's a it, like her back is to you. So you don't really see it, but you just see him kind of approach her, hold out the shears, just a surgical snip and she falls down and, and then is like wiggling on the floor and uh, Maya is justifiably freaking out and tries to quietly get her way into Janice's apartment 
and things kind of just keep going and accelerating from here through the right. through a lot of act one. Well, I did like how, you know, she gets into Janice, lets her in and yeah. you think Janice is going to help her. And then Janice starts to try to kill her and She's just then smothering the- her right. uh, and, and not the- listening um, to Maya, who's trying to get her to close the door. This is also one of the only conversations that I don't think it does pass the Bechdel test, but it's like the only conversation between two women that's not about a guy. But. The only reason that it's like that is because Janice is trying to murder Maya. And Maya is actually right. trying to Maya is actually trying to talk about a guy with the shears who is coming through the open door. So it doesn't right. even pass. So I will say, like, this film, written and directed by three dudes, is definitely not a, a film about a woman, even though Maya is the central character. It's it's not. Like, you know, it's it's well, a it's a very dude. As I, as I stuff. pointed out, they did some things that women would never do. So, yeah, I kind of agree with that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is the the snippy guy. It's like and I do think that they do portray this. Um, oh, fantastic, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, I think that they really give you a sense of sort of what the signal does to people, because it's like he has a mission. And he's just doing this stuff like very matter of factly, and it makes sense to him. It's kind of um, like he just wants people to be quiet, maybe because he he gives he puts his finger up to his lips when he hears screaming down the hallway and looks at her and then leaves uh, well, to to go take leave. care of the screaming. Well, he starts to leave, but she closes the door and locks it. Yeah. But then he starts banging on the door. Oh, yeah, and true. The noise. So I, maybe it is the noise factor, but that was that was a very uh, like good scene and a good sequence of events and i really liked how it made sense like the way she closes the door and locks it she does it in exactly the way you should if you're in that situation like she's not trying she's really trying not to draw his attention yeah um so i felt like that editing was really great i also liked how you know she's on the the ground because her neighbor has tried to kill her. So she's like in this like kind of weird, awkward position, but the way the film, the way they're filming it is exactly from her perspective, which I think is kind of cool. Um, And then you just see like the, the Shears guy go out of frame when she closes the door. So I really liked how they did that. Um, And then she basically just hides under a table for the rest of the night uh, until the sun comes up. So letting you know, and what's letting you know that like this is gone wide is one interstitial shot of like an outside street with bodies on it. Um, and then the sun comes up and you're back with her. Yep. Um, and then this is, uh, I should point out, this is that this first one was the one written directed by David Bruckner. Right. And um, this, this, this act begins with its own title card after she leaves Ben's apartment. Yep. Uh, Transmission One Crazy in Love is the name of it. And so uh, basically the, the first things that happened in this act were everything in the parking garage until, well, yeah, it's still going uh, throughout this, throughout the rest of this sec- uh, section. Yeah. And so, you know, she she's then decides, okay, I'm going to get out of here. And she yep. runs into her apartment, puts her shoes on, gets her keys. She sees things like you know, the fact that her husband is duct taped and as, and sees her and is so upset that he like falls on the floor and there's like kind of a knife by his head, but she does not let him go. And you know what? Probably a good idea that she didn't. Um, and she basically gets her stuff, starts to leave. And again, I thought the editing here was really great because she's like 
certainly in shock and she puts on her little like disc man um probably not again not the smartest thing to do but maybe that is why they set up the president where she does an unsafe thing where she needs to probably be aware of things in the parking garage and this is a similar thing mm-hmm. but um she starts to walk down the hall and she gets like yanked into the utility closet and there's like a great cut where there's a little bit of time passage and I think they showed it well. And then is it see- even a cut or is it just like they're they just keep the <laughs> camera rolling? They do, but it's like a time almost like a time lapse because you see Ben yeah. come in and there's definitely like they you hear rattling in the utility closet, but you don't see what's happening. And then you see Ben kind of like whisk by. Yeah. Um, and then it and then it shows you what's happening with her, which is Rod has like taped her up. So we know now we now know he's probably the one who taped up Ben. Uh, sorry. Uh, he he taped up Lewis. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. and he's got like this weird weapon of like duct tape knives to like a staff. And the really interesting thing about Rod is that he is like everybody's gone crazy, and he's clearly crazy too. Just has slightly more judgment than a little other. bit. Yeah, but his his monologue or you know this this like jabber he's doing at her is kind of what tips you off that he's gone crazy but he's also telling you get some some don't you get to see like part of what he did overnight yeah because he's like taping up people he's murdering the guy with the shears or at least you know fighting him uh i thought it was a really cool sort of uh, montage but you do get to you do get the feeling that he is at least mildly crazy and but it's not enough to dissuade maya from uh like trying to escape with him i think she thinks that she can maybe get him back under control yeah when they do decide to leave well uh, i think she also knows like look he had taped her up she needs him to untape her yeah she also knows that he's got this big knife thing and she probably is like trying to figure out what to do with him which is ultimately what happens. Um, and here's the part that I'm like, oh, come on. Um, I guess you need it, but I don't know. Um, she's like, as as she they start to kind of make their escape, he gets distracted by this woman who's walking down the street. And he's all focused on whether someone is crazy or not, whether someone needs help or not. Like, so, to, like, he's still trying to do the right thing, sort of. Um, yeah. This policewoman kill like shoots him. Um and, doesn't kill him. This no, guy's and, hard to kill. And then he goes and kills her brutally. Yeah. And he's so, also been hit in the head with a hammer. Uh, and he has a huge, like open wound in the back of his head that he's also shown us. But yeah, so now he's been shot, uh, and and he's like hitting this woman over and over again. Maya calls to him, like, come on, let's we gotta go. Uh, and then eventually gets in the car and starts to drive it because he's she's just looking at this guy wailing on this corpse uh but then he he yells for her to stop and she does and uh, and so he gets in and uh she learns to regret that decision pretty quickly but this is the part where i'm like she saw what he was doing i think drive away too sweet here i think she had enough time she could have locked the door she could have i don't know why she changed her mind probably could yeah I don't know why she changed her mind. I mean, she's she's also been exposed to the signal a little bit. So who can say exactly why she's doing what she's doing at this point? Um, But she has her own goal. She's going to get to the train station. That's been her goal all along. That's the last conversation she had with Ben. It's like, let me get to the train station, platform 13, and get out of this place. Leave Terminus. Um, So maybe she's she's not fully on her A game. Um, 
I thought that the car sequence was actually pretty good because Rod is like slowly falling apart. Um, there is a little bit of a weird thing here where he turns on the radio and the radio is clearly off, but like the signals coming through loud and clear. So that was kind of odd, but um, I like how it escalates here and he just like starts to lose it. And then suddenly she becomes the enemy to him. Yeah. And he hits her and she's like kind of stunned. And then she has to make a decision like, oh gosh, he's going to kill me if I stay in this car with him or, and he hasn't put his seatbelt on. So she's just like, all right. And she crashes deliberately into this dumpster to basically stop his assault. Um, and he is knocked out at least at first. Um, and I just thought that that was a really excellent set of like scenes and editing there. Yeah. Uh, she, and as she gets her Walkman and, and starts to and tries to leave, he's telling her, don't leave me. I, I don't have the crazy. Yeah, uh, like, which, oh, yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, buddy, you just hit me three times while I was driving. I'm pretty sure you have the crazy. Uh, also, uh, a man approaches the car with a shovel. He seems nice enough. This is Clark. And we'll get to know Clark a little bit late, uh, more later. And another woman is just walking past her in like medical scrubs covered in blood yeah. as she walks away from the car. It's like a weird it's a very weird scene where suddenly there are people who are not attacking her. Um, and Rod had said during his uh, feverish monologue that one out of every two people. I don't it's a weird way to say that, but like basically every other person. Uh, has been affected by the signal in his per in his perception mm -hmm. and is trying to kill somebody else or everybody else. Um, right. And that's kind of, that's almost the end. An unconscious well, pen is being dragged into a van by Lewis. Yeah. Uh, and like, Lewis, uh, just as, as she drove away with Rod, you saw Ben kind of stumble out of her apartment building. And by yeah. the end of the, this first act, Ben is being dragged into a, a van and Lewis is definitely up and Adam. And then we begin transmission two, which is entitled the jealousy monster. And right. this starts with a, a right away with a very different theme. But before we get there though, she's still on her, I'm getting to turn to, to platform 13 at the train station. So and she, she told that to Clark too. Yeah. For some and she puts on her little Walkman and walks away and that's her goal. <laughs> so that's what she's doing. And she's out of here. Um, yeah. I mean, the... again, like a lot of the people who are infected have goals too. Um, Anna's right. is to throw a party. Yeah. Um, and we learn about her mission here. Um, it's it, their apartment is very pink. She's very pink. Her husband has very red lips. Yeah. Um, but of course, when we meet him at first, he's already dead. Uh, but then there's like a, a flashback. Mm hmm. He's not alive very long in this in this particular thing. Even I mean, he's he's dead when we first meet him because she's telling him, "I know you think this party's a bad idea." Yeah. Um, and then Clark is at the door and he's like, "Oh, hey, and I need to borrow my. I need to get back my hatchet and some garbage bags from Ken, who's dead. Does Ken even get a credit? Because honestly, he was pretty freaking creepy too. Ken, yes, but I don't think he got a credit. I don't know. Mm. Uh, so he's like, "Oh, Ken's." You know, Ken's dead. Um, and they, then quickly we get the flashback of Ken had just turned on the TV while they were getting ready for the party and then mm -hmm. turns around and tries to kill Anna. Like it, it happened almost instantaneously uh, for the two of them. So I don't know if that's like a continuity thing that maybe the three directors didn't quite have on the same page or if that's just, you know, whatever. It's, it is what it is. Or maybe Ken was just, you know, faking his niceness. And there we go. 
Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and a, uh, there's a lot of funny lines in this act. This is the funny part of the movie. Yes. For yes. better or for worse. Um, mm -hmm. And she, uh, her line to Clark here is, yeah, I know he's gross now, or he's kind of gross now. <laughs> I know. And also Clark just kind of takes it in um, very matter-of-factly as well. Clark um, is another one of these characters. You don't really know to what extent he's infected. He certainly is uh, exposed to the signal much more as the story goes on. But early on, you're not sure. Like he has killed Rod by this point. He's dragged him out of, out of the crashed car and was... Um, I think trying to help him when Rod attacked him. And so he cut off his head with the, with the shovel. And um, we get to see that in the flashback too. Um, right, let me just say, Ken, the actor who plays Ken, yeah. he, let's have a credit. His name's Christopher Thomas, and he's in a lot of things, but not anything that we have seen. Well, he, the look on his face as he turns to Anna is just extremely evil. Um, yeah. And every, I think, yeah, like the makeup and, Maybe not the makeup, but certainly the costuming in this scene were, were fantastic. Yes. Uh, Clark um, is trying to explain what's going on outside. He seems to be the exposition guy. He's always talking about like the science behind the signal and what's happening and uh, you know chemistry in the brain and all this kind of stuff. It's a lot of um, BS, but it's, it's also interesting. And he's talking about how the party is the last thing anybody's going to be thinking about, Anna. Nobody's coming to your party. And then the doorbell keeps ringing, yeah. uh, which is one of the other kind of running jokes of this uh, part of the of the film. But at the door is not a party goer. It's Lewis. Um, yeah. And he seems pretty compass mentis. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm the pest control guy. Somebody saw a rat. Maybe I should help you out uh, and talks his so way he inside. Raise poor Clark in the face with poison. And then, you know, and and then we see a little bit of what's going on, which is that like from Lewis's perspective, Anna is Maya, and um, he is viewing everything like surrounding Maya. Like he's he has his own sort of play that's or like whatever whatever he is seeing is not necessarily real. And we see this from Anna's perspective as well, where she's like imagining that Ken is still alive, and often it's Clark kind of like in that role. Um, and the only thing that really snaps Lewis out of this is that Anna's like you know, I'm not your wife or this isn't, this isn't who you think this is our friend. And yeah, um, actually makes him pause and rethink things. And that's the only thing that seems to shake him out of it. And we see this happen a couple of times. Like it's gotta be sort of like this direct sort of clash with reality that makes the person snap out of it. Um, but it's not foolproof obviously. Cause yeah, eventually Lewis just goes completely off the rails. Um, he, but yeah, he snaps out of it twice in this section. Yeah. And maybe maybe that's part of the uh, fluff that you're you know that you you could have seen more of this cut into just one snap out of it than descent into madness. Uh, yes. Um, and I think that maybe the Jim Parsons part could have been cut if you if you're in a, uh, trying to aggressively get rid of stuff. I don't think you need it. Um, I think that the thing you don't need his part at all. Um, I do think that the part where her niece or her friend shows up, yeah, and and he pretty much just kills her outright for no reason. Um, cause he thinks she has a knife, um, but it's her keys. Um, that I think was great, but I don't think you need to get into all of this. I think you could have cut probably at least 10 to 15 minutes off of this whole thing. Hmm. Um, 
And mainly the the part is, is that he thinks it's Maya and he's somehow thinking that Clark is somebody else. He eventually views Clark sort of as an ally for a bit anyway. For a bit. And, and then then the, again, it turns there's there there's a lot of this um, black comedy humor in this section, too, where they're just kind of ob observing what's going on in the world and and making comments like, yeah, things are crazy right now. Uh, let's go have cocktails. And right. these kinds and as of they're sitting things. in this blood spattered living room. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, love I love what you've done with the place. I mean, some of that is coming from Jim, who we don't know what his infection status is. He's just a horrible person. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. again, yeah, we don't really need his his right. part of the story. And eventually we have, you know, like it it does completely go off the rails. Um, and this is the again, this is the part that I think could have been edited tremendously. I don't think um you can do all the things. You can have Anna thinking that Clark is Ken, um, you can have like the things that are happening or where Lewis is getting confused about who is who you can have all of that and you, but you don't need to show it as much as they did. Um, I don't think you need the scene where she's like under the bed and eventually we don't even see, but he pulls her out. He pulls Ken out. They're having a little corpse party. Um, and then it just gets really horrible where he's basically torturing Anna because he wants to know where Maya has gone. Um, he's, put two knives into um, Clark, like basically holding Clark in place in a chair, which is horrific. And he basically kills Anna using like insecticide, both on her face and down her mouth. And it's like, that's the part I was like, come on, this is just like, I sure if you want to do that, I guess, but it felt um, honestly just ridiculous and really just over the top. And I, the, I fast forwarded through those scenes. I was like, this is just bullshit. I think you can get to the parts of the story. This seemed all so gratuitous to me. Yeah. And it didn't move along the plot line. I also actually felt that about the whole, like, maybe if you're building trust between Ben and, and Clark, some of the stuff that happens where, you know, he comes in, he basically saves Clark from um, Lewis. There's the thing with the signal, which I guess you can see that Ben is not as affected or has figured out a way around it. And he even talks to Clark a little bit about that. But then they end up in Clark's apartment with Lewis in pursuit. Lewis never would have gotten up if his head had been bashed in the way it seemed like Ben bashed his head in. Um, and that whole scene and the whole scene with like Rod's head, um, yeah. other than to demonstrate the fact that Clark is clearly also affected by this. Um, which I think we already knew. Um, it just felt well, he'd been forced to watch the signal by Lewis during right. the end of, of the second act. And this is where the uh, Ben coming in and knocking out Lewis is the where the second act ends. Right. And then transmission three escape from terminus begins right. with uh, Ben's flashback actually of what he's been doing since he woke up in the back of the van right. um, outside of outside of Anna's party. Uh, and then I think there's another flashback back to what he did with Lewis in the apartment building, which was free him mm -hmm. and then hear the gunshot from Rod getting shot and, uh, and then like trying to catch up about getting his ass kicked. Right. I mean, honestly, he shouldn't be wandering around no. uh, as, as beaten as he's been. Yes. And Lewis has been beaten. Also, there's a lot of people operating in with ways head injuries that, that should yeah. not be. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the the whole Rod's uh, disembodied head part doesn't um, it doesn't feel that necessary, except that it's like Ben sort of 
manipulating Clark into telling him what he already knew, but but like in a way where he felt like he was getting this information from Rod's head. Uh, and and we kind of feel like Ben has decoded the signal. He talks about how he, you know, he, he knows it's a lie, even though he stayed up all night watching it. Uh, and you're just like, oh, OK, yeah, sure. You've you've solved it. You're fine, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of like uh, who's we kind the movie wants us to think that Ben is the hero. And so we I think you can sort of make that your um, your understanding. But I think we're also we've seen what this thing is doing doing to people. And so I think it's it's OK to also be like, I don't know about that. So by the end of the this basement scene, it's actually it gets pretty gross again, where they're like drilling into Rod's uh, Lewis's arm. Yeah. Um, and they they yeah, Lewis is like the most impossible guy to kill. They uh, they beat him up a bunch of times and then they run away. Um, And Clark puts on a tinfoil hat, which is another piece of this uh, levity that his character sort of brings to the to the movie it's like levity exposition and maybe you're crazy we're not quite sure does he ever actually do anything violent to anybody well i mean he um what oh he killed rod but does he do anything that was self-defense that was somewhat self-defense um there's some implication that why he's running around with this the shovel. I mean, he does. He does screw Lewis's arm to the door, but Lewis is also trying to break in to kill them in that scene. But like, he was kind of laughing while he did it, which felt a little bit, um, yeah, yeah sketchy. But so the they're basically Lewis. Oh, and Lewis, the Lewis and Clark joke that Jim made. Yeah, yeah. That that gives us nothing. But uh, Clark and Ben are now in a car and they're driving to the terminal, but they run out of gas. Uh, Lewis is or Clark is still talking about like the science behind the signal, what it means, um, how we've like left ourselves open to this. And I think that's what Ben tells him because Ben, the, between the two of them, they both like sort of have this understanding about what's going on, but I don't think they do. They're just rationalizing and being crazy people. Like, I do think that the cast is good. I just think that I, I, and I have to say it, I think the directors each wanted their own little thing and felt like they had to go to whatever length. So this whole thing with the screen, the the arm in the door and like all these antics, just it's each person trying to do their own thing, which it doesn't necessarily make it a cohesive story as a whole. It's certainly Um, not cohesive. And yeah. and so again, you get a lot of conflicting mythologies, maybe depending on who was directing it. Um, and so, like, there's a slight explanation where you have between Ben and and Clark, where you know, Clark's trying to m- say, "Oh, this is what I think the signal is," and like ends up, you know, the little tinfoil hat thing. Um, and then again, Ben is sort of just wants to find Maya. Um, it's interesting that the two, these two characters that are obsessed with Maya, that's all they really want. Um, so, Single-minded obsession. Clark is kind of the only one without. Uh, I mean, he's obsessed with what the signal is. He like with his right, labber. but he doesn't have a goal like they do. So. Yeah, it's like yeah, this is the part of the film that I think has the least amount of focus, yeah. even though it's like getting us to Maya, getting us to the train station. Uh, once we get there, there's like a weird scene where there are some people wandering around. There are some dead bodies lying around. Nobody's attacking Clark and Ben, but 
but Lewis has beaten them there uh, improbably. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a, yet another showdown where Lewis actually once again kind of beats <laughs> Ben and has almost certain uh, maybe killed Clark. We're not sure. Um, but eventually Ben, who watches the screen for a little while to like get charged up, then convinces Lewis that he is Lewis. It gets into some really like yeah. wild abstract. Uh, everybody's insane. This is crazy. Yeah. Um, territory. And does I forget, does Lewis kill himself? Oh, he, no. yeah, he punches the TV until he gets electrocuted. Oh, yeah, he gets electrocuted. And then there's like a crazy weird scene that supposedly it's like Ben getting out of there with Clark and Maya and this whole like, ah, oh, they're getting clothes. They're on a train. It's in the yeah. sunlight. And then they're drinking out, water. They're 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 healthy. They're fine. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly they're not. And he has to get Maya out of this catatonic state she's in. And he saves her with a Joy Division cover, which is what that song is that they keep hearing. Um, and, you know, and then I guess you can surmise that things might be OK. Maybe I mean, all we really know is that she closes her eyes finally. Yeah. Then uh, that's that's it. Fade to black. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the third act. Is the least satisfying of them in a way, but it's so hard to finish these kinds of stories this is always the hardest thing to do they 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 do a lot of i mean and you know there have been these like threads of consistency throughout with the signal and what's what it's doing to people and these characters this love story but um in the end you're left with mm, they're probably all insane humanity is gone <laughs> this is a disaster so it's pretty normal stuff for a zombie type dystopian uh film um and again, I don't know, like the, for a for a fairly unknown cast to me still, even though uh, I looked up Clark's IMDb or the guy who plays Clark, Scott Poitras, he's actually done a ton. Yeah, um, he's done a ton of TV. It, that may be. He looks so familiar. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And movies. So he's like on Homeland. He was on Turn, that spy uh, film or series about the Revolutionary War. Uh, done. He's done a lot of stuff, so that's probably why he's so recognizable. He was in Greenland with um, whatever that Scottish actor's name is. Anyway, so he's done a lot. That's the end of the movie, though. Like we we kind of uh, we get there. It's this is obviously not a zombie film. It's it's like a crazies style film, and like I uh, texted you, ha. It it just has been staying in my head for years. It might not have that effect on you. Um, no, I mean, I like, here's the thing. I think that there was a lot of good filmmaking here. I think the cast was great. I think that some of the storytelling was great. I just think it could have been tightened up to be a really great kind of slasher film, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of the inconsistencies in maybe what each director had in terms of their vision, um, could be the culprit and they, nobody wanted to sort of like kill their darlings as it were. Um, but I think, to do that, you do have to sacrifice something, and I wish they had. <laughs> and so um, there's also a thing that I bump on in this, which, you know, again, 2007, but it does feel like there's a lot of misogyny going on here, specifically with the treatment of the Anna character. 
um like that plays out more and and a little and with maya too um like i wish they had done a lot more with maya as a whole versus the focus all being on some of these kind of crazy male characters um and it could have been a more interesting film that way but that's just me uh nitpicking a little bit um you know i do think that the makeup effect was really good here they didn't have to do you know these aren't like true zombies so you don't have to go crazy but i do think everything was pretty effective in terms of like revealing uh, weirdly the scene that you mentioned with the sort of random woman with the blood coming down her was to me very effective because she's just kind of walking like hey i'm not recognizing this and the sort of um general sort of disarray of characters after they've done these things not necessarily um registering like it's just normal like especially yeah. the Anna party scenes where it's just like everybody's sort of bloody there's blood on the floor like there's no normalcy about this but they don't register it as being weird like i thought that stuff was pretty cool and the sets were were used well um because really what we're talking about we have the scene with her and ben in the apartment the scene in the apartment building scene at anna's place and the scene at the train station and you know like they're they're they did a good job with like a small budget so overall I, I i'm favorable i just think it could have been a really great film and that's i think the frustrating part for me yeah it it definitely is is not a perfect film and i think some of that probably does stem from the tr three-headed monster element of it and that's probably unavoidable um even though they did it i'm sure very consciously Obviously, they did it very consciously because you can't get more different than Acts One and Two. Um, even though they're still both horror, uh, they were still they were just very different. But yeah, so that's uh, that's the Signal, two thousand seven. There it is. Not to be confused with the Signal, twenty fourteen, which is a Lawrence Fishburne film about <laughs> muscular dystrophy. I'm not sure. Um, and and then I guess the the one that we saw was the Cell. I think. Yes, the, the cell is by Stephen King from 2006 uh, is when he wrote the novel. And then the movie with um, Samuel L. Jackson came out some other time. No hmm. one is safe. Everyone is everyone is infected. Yep. Uh, so there it is. We're going to we're still kind of waiting for uh, Rick and Michonne show to uh, to arrive. Yep. So we will um, in the meantime, satisfy our bloodlust with some vampire stuff i'd vampire say stuff. yeah yeah what are uh, we gonna so, watch so what is it next time we're gonna watch dompier on netflix and uh and then after that we've got some more vampire stuff lined up and we'll uh we'll get to that when we get to it but hopefully you guys enjoyed the signal and uh we'll be back again soon so hopefully you'll join us uh, let us know what you think you can send us an email at reanimatedpodcast at gmail.com and we are also, all of our episodes are online at reanimated.podbean.com. So until next time, uh, thank you for listening and thank you for tolerating our hiatus. <laughs> yeah. See you soon. Ciao. All right. Bye-bye.